You are tuned into a Heads and Tails NFL Injury Report, where each week we discuss the latest injuries and sports health buzz surrounding the league in an attempt to make football safer to play at all levels. Dr. Wazim Bush provides expert medical insight, while my buddy Josh Boyd keeps us up to date on all current events and provides play-by-play analysis. And my name is Kevin Somm, and I provide the perspective of a former player with a passion for changing a football culture that nearly took my life. If this is your first time to the show, I recommend checking out some of the athlete and expert interviews that we have previously published on this podcast. For detailed show notes and videos from this episode, go to headsandtails.org backslash injury reports. There once was a running back named Ty Montgomery. He received a kick return, and he did not kneel the ball. He ran the ball out of the end zone and proceeded to fumble. The ball. The ball. And he got traded the next day. Axed! Better than being cut. If he did it this week, he would have gotten cut because he wouldn't have been able to get traded. So, I guess it was smart on his part. Welcome to a scary good. Welcome to a Halloween Halloween edition of the Heads and Tails NFL Injury Report. Really slow week for injuries, which means that we're doing our jobs, I think. (laughs) Yes. Right? Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Yes. <laughs> Josh is no comment over that. Yeah, man. Well, damn. But uh, as usual. Can't please everybody. Yeah. <laughs> as usual, we'll go through the uh, week eight injuries, and then we'll move on to the or our thoughts on the new Brainwash the Book, um, the bad science behind CTE and the plot to destroy football that Merrill Hodge is uh, backing. Then we'll move on to the Week 7 NFL Way to Play Award recipient. Um, then we'll talk about uh, the NFL operations team meeting with the NCAA to talk about some best practices in uh, uh, health and safety for football. And then we'll finish by just giving a shout-out to Zach Miller's Players' Tribune documentary coming out in a couple weeks. So to start things off, let's go into uh, – Houston Texans wide receiver Will Fuller's ECL injury. Probably the biggest injury of the week, I would think. Um, yeah, happened on thurs- Thursday night. Um, in the Thursday night game, he already had 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 had, yeah. Yeah. had, had over 100 yards and a touchdown. And it was late in the game, and he just running a deep pass down the sideline in the end zone. This was probably one of the more I want to say tame, but like it was just non-gruesome looking ACLs yeah. that we've seen. He just kind of jumped up, um, landed, and you could see his knee kind of buckle buckle a little bit, but nothing caused it to. He just kind of landed on it, maybe slightly the if wrong. You've got way like slow mo eyeballs. You could see it in the video, yeah. but I couldn't see it. Yeah, yeah. like it didn't. It's it didn't look bad at all, but um, they took him out right away. You feared for the worst, I guess. Yeah, to the untrained eye, and to the trained eye, it was really difficult. Um, yeah, it, it was just one of those awkward plays, you know, you land and, and it kind of goes back to all the things that we talked about. Sometimes it's just, you know, crap luck, you know what I mean? And you, you land in a certain awkward direction and then boom, there it goes. You pop it and he's out for the season. Sucks for fantasy owners. Um, uh, because Watson seems like he's starting to really heat up and find his guys. Well, what do you like? Why, why do you think that is? 
why is Watson starting yeah. to? Well, now he's I'm finally recovering. He's taking the bus. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're not because he's taking the bus. How how long? Everyone's going to start taking the bus. Now. How long has it been? <laughs> exactly since his ACL injury. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, that and yes, and taking the bus that really helped him, Kevin. Um, he can breathe and thereby throwing the ball. Yes, one leads to the other. <laughs> no, but I, I, I completely agree with, with Josh. Uh, it is just as he's gotten to the exact time frame that he should have um, that he looks magically like his old self. Yeah, we're getting off track a little bit here, but yeah. it's a, very similar with Carson Wentz. I mean, Carson Wentz is probably now um, almost 11 months, maybe 11 months and a week out from his ACL, I think it was the first week of December last year. So I guess he's a little less than 11 yeah. months out, where Deshaun Watson is now about a full year yeah. out. And you can see once they get to that like year point, that's when they really start to turn the corner. So even from these guys who come back from ACLs within seven, eight months, nine months, and they're able to play, um, you don't see them like they're full, whether it's them not trusting it fully or – them just forgetting about it and playing like they are used to. Um, it really seems like they get to this year, that year point, yep. one year mark, and then it, it's the you, fear you factor can, is yeah, gone. You know, that's a big difference. They've taken hits. They've done pretty much everything that they would normally do, and so they lose that fear of just, oh, is it going to go at any point in time? And uh, Watson's doing, he's doing awesome. Well, it's something to think about with from basically from this point on for the rest of the year, all of the ACLs that we talk about and we see, like yeah, like Will Fuller for example, the one we restarted on, yeah. So he ACL didn't look that bad, um, but still, it from now it's what Halloween. Mm -hmm. So will he be back for training camp next year in the beginning of the season? Probably. Yeah. Um, will you see him? Will He'll you be kind of like Wentz? Yeah. Would you, you do you expect him to be? Uh, at a hundred percent for the as a number two for the Texans week one next year, no. it's probably too much to ask. Even even if he goes through a full training camp and plays in preseason games, um, so it's just one of those things. And there will be more ACLs that we'll see all year. So it's kind of one of those things you got to think about when looking forward to next year. Even he's also a full speed guy, so you know I would imagine that his uh, timetable will be a little bit different um, than uh, say some of the quarterbacks and so on. So. Um, yeah, look for him in um, in preseason to be starting to test it out and uh, fe being fully back to himself somewhere around like that week four or five-ish mark. And then, yeah. And a stat that I saw, at least on Twitter, I, don't, I can't say it's verified or not, but it's probably about right, is that there's been 43 ACL injuries to date for the 2018 season. Yeah. And Waz and I were talking about it before you got here, Josh. And we're trying to think like, is that high? Is that low? And I just got a lucky, lucky uh, break with the stat. But so uh, last week they were. I heard Doctor David, your boy, Doctor David Chow, the Leslie Chow, <laughs> the guy who's uh, always, always on, on on Twitter. You can no fuck on me. <laughs> he actually does a weekly radio segment i listen to it yeah. sometimes on, on uh, nfl radio yeah and i just happened to hear it this week and one of the things they asked him was um they're like oh we think there's so many more acls this year is there really i think there was 41 up yeah. to because this was before last week and i yeah. think the, uh, the next guy we'll talk about was the second one and he's like i think last year there was 50 
like high 50s, like 57 or something. So he said, uh, if you think about it through training camp, preseason, um, and the regular season, we're about on pace for maybe a couple more than last yeah. year, like low 60s. So um, it, no, to answer your question, no, it's the stats right, but there's, um, you shouldn't, unless there's like some weird rash and you get 10 in a week, there, it's going to be about normal. Yeah, and that's what we kind of agreed upon. It's like you got 32 teams, so it's like a little more than one a team. Yeah. For this late in the season, like probably isn't that much. Yeah. Um, fifty three yeah. guys in the roster. Yeah. So all right. Move on to another ACL with no video. Uh Cincinnati Bengals defensive end Carl Lawson. He's like one of their uh main third down pass rush and rushers. So that's the Rutgers like third down song. Okay. Yeah, that's um. I thought you were gonna join uh, in. I, was, on that, I had no idea what you were doing. Oh come on! I didn't. I didn't. It's pretty sweet. I, Kevin. I lost you there. Um, but so it's like I said, it's just a a depth thing for the Bengals, and just from an ACL st- standpoint, and there's two this week. Um, that's probably about what we'll see. Yeah. and that's it. Yeah, it's going forward. Well, all right. All right, all right. We'll move on to Arizona Cardinals wide receiver David Johnson. <laughs> it, this was a crazy kind of like play. He's not a wide receiver. He's yeah. a oh, running back. Running back. Yeah. My bad. My bad. He got yeah. hit by his wide receiver. Okay. He well, did. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, you guys can look at this outline, too, and you can edit, edit me. But if you don't look at it. I, I did look at it, and I chose specifically not to edit it so I could make so I could say something. I, too. It. Dude, that's messed up. <laughs> <laughs> Whose team are you on? Uh, I just. Life. Interesting. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, are you, though? I I get uh yeah I mean I guess it's more of a when he gets hit by Larry 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 Fitz but I mean he could have even done something when he got tackled too um, but he was just running running to the outside uh got tackled um kind of got a shoulder to his shoulder uh I guess he fumbled or Fitz thought he fumbled and Larry Fitz just like dove in to try to rec- it was like weird yeah to, like watch yeah i guess like, he, what, was, he, what did he see that like yeah, so. it, it was kind of it was kind of weird too because it, it was almost like two different speeds because when fitz like figured out oh i think the ball's loose it, it was like fast forward yeah. and he just dove right in and that's all i saw yeah. and then another defensive player dove on top of him <laughs> after larry fitz dove on him if it was felt bad for the guy did and fitz it, get injured too and he's had a rough season to begin with i don't I don't think so. They, he caught the didn't he catch? He caught a touchdown pass later in the game. I think. So yeah. I think he did. All right. All right. Moving on to another concussion. <laughs> uh, Buffalo Bills defensive back uh, Tremaine Edmonds. This was in the Monday night game. Uh, he's their first round, first round draft pick. Uh, they were Chris Nowinski was all over this one. He is gigantic. He uh, he's so they were saying he's six five mil linebacker. Um, the Steelers actually drafted his younger brother also in the first round. So there was two two brothers that got picked in the first round this year, which was pretty cool. Oh, well, wow. um, but so yeah, he went to Tom Brady dumped the ball off to his fullback, and he went to make a tackle. And you 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 talk about this one because this is really Nowinski said it perfectly. And well, yeah, so he he made the tackle and he went low on the. Fullback, like we always talk about, the, for the big yeah. guys, low man wins. You got to go low to make the tackle. But in order to do that, you need to lead with your head. And because of that, he basically took like a knee to the head yeah. and 
got a, got himself a concussion, and it just goes – and no flag was called. So we have all this hype of this freaking helmet rule going into the season, and to me, this this particular play is, like, proof that, like, the helmet rule does not exist. It's, like, not a real rule. But it's also proof of – I think why it was talked about in the first place in, in a def- like to defend, uh, to help the defensive players. Like uh, it wasn't that, it wasn't that bad of a hit. It wasn't nasty. Uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of similar to, Sh- to Shazier tackle. Yeah. Um, I mean, he hit a different part of the body, but it was very similar where he's looking at him the whole time. He goes to wrap up, but as he wraps up and tackles, he just lowers his head. And, and when you, go head-to-head on a fullback or head-to-hip on a fullback. I mean, that's when you're going to try to – I mean, those guys are just a ball of human. Yeah. So you, I mean, you're just not going to – mass. Yeah. And, for, and, the, and, and this guy's like 6'5", 275. And even, even him, I mean. So I, I think what the helmet rule was supposed to do is um, teach – people teach guys teach defensive players not to hit like this in, yeah. because if you hit like this you're going to get a flag so they're thinking i think what the point of it was they're thinking is if we flag them they'll stop doing it but instead they didn't want to flag it because i think they realized how much they would have needed to flag it this is my my opinion i think they realized how much they would have needed to flag it even if it was and if it was just one year where they called 250 penalties, uh, yes, would people complain about it for every week on Twitter? Yeah, but at the end of the day, it, once you call it so many times, people will stop tackling like that. Um, and now, like you said, no one even says anything about it. And there's gonna, he's not the only guy that's happened. This has happened to him because of, but and, and it's uh, a perfect. And example. unfortunately, we'll have another Shazier at some point in time down the road, and then they'll be like, oh well. Didn't we have that helmet rule that we were supposed to do to try to prevent this that no one ever called and it, people just kind of forgot about it? The the video, uh, it was a good, really good link. That first vi- uh, link that you have up on the outline, um, it really shows two impacts there, right? The first guy and then the second guy. The first guy, which was Edmonds, who gets, um, who lowers his head. You can actually see the impact transfer through from the head down into the body. It was pretty crazy. So it is exactly like that Shazier hit where it was just this transfer of energy that's going through. You have no idea. It's the luck of the draw sometimes of who's going to go down and who's not. And then the second guy who went to tackle him also led with his head and had the back of his head just like knocked downwards too. So Yeah, I forgot. There was two guys in a row that did the same exact thing. And yeah. Clearly in Buffalo, they're not teaching the right things. Like, and I think it's just, like you said, I think they just, a lot of these guys just fall back onto, like, these guys have tackled this way for 10 years. So right. it's, it's, I don't want to say it's unrealistic to get them to stop, but um, when, when you, when you completely stop enforcing this rule, what was, cre- what was, that was created for them to stop tackling like this way, like, you can't, uh, you can't expect people to just change, especially now when there's no incentive to not change. And I think both hits were helmet to helmet. Both, even even on the second hit, it was helmet to the side of the helmet on on whoever number forty six is on on yeah, uh, pullback. Man, he's forty six is huge. like a pullback Devlin, number. Yeah. Dude, he yeah. is huge. Yeah. Um. All right. So yeah, check out the videos online. Let us know what you think. Yeah. And Josh, did you put this one in? Yeah. Okay. So you you put in the Ben Roethlisberger <laughs> left index finger, but you didn't. 
fix my wide receiver running back yeah, debacle. I know. I told you what my thought process was. <laughs> I'm not lying. I just don't dude. like it. I don't like your answer. <laughs> it's not even on his. If throwing it was hand. like a spelling error, if you put like R T or R no, R, you would let it. me struggle trying no. to not pronounce pronounce the wrong name. No, that's not true. <laughs> so you could ridicule me. Not true. Um, very sensitive. To that. This is pretty you straightforward. Very sensitive. Though. <laughs> um, Must be Halloween. <laughs> Okay, it came out that Ben broke a finger on his non-throwing hand, and I guess it, uh, they said it happened early in the game, like second yeah. quarter or something. Um, so, obviously, he stayed in, played the whole game, didn't really seem to have a problem. Um, non-throwing He's got hands. another hand. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Non-throwing hand. He's so got mitts. No, no uh, grip issues or anything. And yeah. the only thing you, you think of is uh, snap under center, but, I mean, they go shotgun so much anyway that they'll probably go and That's your bottom hand, more. too, so – yeah, they go a little bit more shotgun anyway. And I heard one guy on the radio talking about it. For as funny as it seems, it makes a big difference if the break, however bad it is, is on the knuckle, is on the top of his finger. Regardless of if it's his throwing hand or is not, it's, yeah. it, it, it would be a lot – depending on where it is, it's going to depend on how impactful it is. Absolutely. So, you know, when, when you have these broken fingers, if it's on – so we, you, you have a couple of joints in there, right? You have a, a – if you look at your finger, like say, look at your index finger, there's three lines. You see it at one line is right by the knuckle at, at, the, at the base of the hand. Then you've got a one in the middle and one at the very end, right? So the one at the very end is the distal interphalangeal joint. Then the one on the, on the middle is the proximal interphalangeal joint. And then the one closest, the one that we call the knuckle, is our uh, metacarpal phalangeal joint. So... Um, you know, depending on where the break happens, if it happens in between the joints, then, you know, the, that's going to hurt. But on these, uh, joints, you have tendons as well that are going to be, um, on them or attaching on them. And if you pop those tendons off, it can affect your ability to bend your finger and extend your finger. So, um, if it's on the top of the finger, if it's on the top of the joint, there's an extensor tendon there. And on the on the bottom is, um, or on the palm side, is the flexor tendon. So if you pop those things off, you're going to lose the ability to, to uh, flex or extend, and you need surgery to correct that. Um, yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable. But, you know, what they're going to do, depending on where the break is, they're just going to splint this thing up as best as they can. Sometimes they buddy tape it next yeah. to the to the next finger and then they let him ride you know this is not gonna do too much for for ben it'll be impactful but then again he's got like i said oven mitts for hands you know he should be okay and the majority of all his gripping is going to be done with his right hand so yeah. shouldn't impact him too if he much. plays well he'll let you know about it if he plays poorly he'll act like nothing's wrong <laughs> that's what he does He's the opposite of a – he's your opposite injured guy. If he throws a couple of touchdown passes, he'll walk off the field holding it, even though it's his other hand. <laughs> he, it, that's what he does. He's done it for years. He's done it for years. Love he'll it. Like, he'll, he'll throw a touchdown pass and limp off the field. It's his ankle. <laughs> he'll throw an interception and jog off like no, like nothing's happened. John Wayne. So make it make, – tough guy. All right, to round out the injuries, I just wanted to note that I, there's like three hamstring injuries listed on ESPN's report. I feel like every week when I'm trying to put this outline together, and I I use ESPN report because it's usually pretty good, but there's like 
a thousand hamstring injuries, soft tissue injuries, yeah, every yeah. week. Well, there's a lot of, and, and, and what it is, and I think more often than not, is there's a lot of uh, tweaks, and then the guys end up coming back in the game. But yep. um, so, but they're especially like Tyreek Hill tweaked, uh, I think it was his groin, but Tyreek Hill tweaked something. So I mean, there's a lot of just big muscular dudes. They're gonna lots of muscles to pull. There's a lot of tweaks, and and also like they're of, old, mm. like from a. From a standpoint of these guys are 25 to 35 years old. If I went out there, I would tear every muscle in my body trying to play a football game. I still can't get you to do the seven on seven. Yeah, flag because football I would. I, we would be on here for an hour talking about the heads and tails, Josh Boyd injury <laughs> report. I'm of, a legend in my mind of 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 every every injury that I suffered from a two hour flag football tournament. It's actually all day, so it might be well, even yeah. it might be a two hour podcast. Get a whole season. We got we got some big people. Potentially coming back. Fournette might be coming back after this uh, upcoming week, I believe, right? Believe it when I see it. Yeah. He's got a bio, so. Yeah. Hopefully Melvin Gordon comes back, too. Yeah, they play this week, so we'll see. It's a little too early in the week to re- just even see if these guys started practicing yet or not. So that's Because he was on a bye yeah. last week. Yep. Correct. Um, okay. I'm going to throw a winger in here. And, and before we get to this uh, brainwash port part of things, what are you guys' thoughts on the blatant – uh, Ty Montgomery disobedience of of uh, not downing it in the end zone, and Aaron Rodgers' response. Well, I think this happens probably more often than anybody knows. Yeah. Um, just from I agree. In, in terms of people doing stuff that they're not supposed to do, yep. um, or disobeying coaches directly. Um, but when it leads, when it's the last, basically the last play of the game, and it leads to a fumble and leads to your team losing, then it's going to get a lot more publicity. Um, I didn't hear what Aaron Rodgers said. What did he say? Aaron he, technically didn't say anything. He didn't. He was he, he was, was pretty uh, yeah he was pretty upset on the sideline, which I mean I understand. Demonstrative. Um, but there was <laughs> there was an anonymous player source who told an anonymous reporter after the game that uh, anonymously yeah, Montgomery Aaron was yeah no peeved. Mon- Montgomery was he was ripping around in his Raptor with his dog <laughs> after the game, just Probably, trying to like yeah, blow off some steam. Yeah, but yeah. Um, they said that Montgomery was pissed because he was benched the drive before. Yeah. So they told him to take a knee. They said if it if it's anywhere in the end zone, take a knee. Um, more so than anything else was there was like two two o two, like two minutes and two seconds left on the clock. So if he brings it out, regardless of where it goes, it's going to take it to the two minute warning. And they only had one timeout left. So it's basically the two minute warning is basically their second timeout. So if he downs it, they'll have one play before the two minute warning, and we'll get a timeout. If he brings it out. That's that basically cost them a timeout. Um, So that was like that was the main reason why, which from a logistical strategy football standpoint made sense. But um, the main reason is you've got Mr. Discount double check himself ready to lead another epic comeback. He could do it in less than two minutes. Yeah, but he would take just the right amount of time so that they wouldn't have any time left. Right. So me as a Packers fan. uh to trade or not to trade? I mean, well, uh, there's probably more going on than just that. Yeah. Well, from everything it sounded like, he was, I mean, it's good good for him. I guess it doesn't even matter because if they cut him, someone would have got him anyway. So, it just. There's really nothing to say. It's pure diva. Yeah. I mean. But he was such like a feel-good story like yeah. two, two years ago. Yep. He was he's like this, the savior. He's this wide receiver and all the running backs are hurt. So, he put him in the running back. And he's, and he's like doing really well. and. I don't know. Ego. 
Well, thanks for that, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it was a good, good little add in there. All right, so now on to brainwash the book, the bad science behind CTE and the plot to destroy football that has been floating around the the media world. Uh, and it's Merrill Hodge. I don't know if Merrill Hodge wrote it or he wrote part of it or he's just backing it. Um, I know he like didn't do his own research on this stuff. Uh, I think he's more just the face behind most of it. I think he wrote it. He actually wrote it. Okay. Uh, so I'm just curious, like, what your guys' thoughts are on the book, the timing of it, Merrill Hodge being the face of this book. Um, what do you guys think? You know, prior to us, like, discussing it, you know, just the backstory about ha- Merrill Hodge, we were kind of researching it a little bit more, but, it, you know, his career ended after um, having uh, second impact syndrome, essentially. Um, had a concussion in... In one game, doctor cleared him over the phone, allegedly. Um, and this was back in the 80s, so, you know, wasn't even a cell phone at that time. Um, but he ended up going back in, suffered another uh, hit, and was unconscious. They had to resuscitate him, and his career essentially was over after that. And now he is the face of... There's no such thing as CTE. (laughs) Well, that's... uh, Well, I haven't read the book, so I'll preface it by that. That's not necessarily true either. I mean, this would would be a good book to do an off-season book report on um, to really dive into it and see what it says. And uh, I would imagine, like you said, not reading the book, it's hard to really um, form an opinion, but um, I would imagine that basically what he's he's probably saying is you're going to find CTE... Um, people in all walks of life and other a lot of other professions than just football um, and CTE has kind of been pigeonholed as a football disease um, and in a way it is greatly having an impact on football um, I don't think he's saying that CTE doesn't exist or isn't real or isn't dangerous um, but it's been turned into uh um, for those leading the crusade against football and youth football and, and, and stuff, it's been a um, they've, they've almost made it seem like this is a football specific thing um, that everyone who plays football is going to get CTE and people are going to die from it. Um, so uh, you said, I think it would be a good, a good off season read to um, do a, do a podcast book report on, but um, that would just be my quick opinion. I think. Yeah. What about you, Dr. Booksh? You know, um, I remember we had some discussions about CTE in general, right? So it, is this this new thing that's been, you know, suddenly we, we found out all about this? No. You know, we've, we've known about what's happened to the brain and the microtrauma that leads to it. And we saw it in, um, in boxers, right? So... Um, you know, it was it was something that had been uh, seen since 1920s or something of that nature. So, you know, I do believe it's almost like, hey, we're we're martyring, I guess, um, uh, CTE in a, in in a way because it's kind of like the propaganda um, behind it. Um, I think that CTE is a real thing. I don't think that it's necessarily true, but I think that we're seeing it a huge rise of it based on a popular sport and we've got athletes in front of 
of a national mainstream audience on a regular basis that things are happening to, and that's led to more awareness about a certain situation. That's kind of like my take on it. Right. And, I, and, and to correct myself, I think um, the book was not by Merrill Hodge. It was Tom something or the other. Right, and Merrill Hodge is backing it. Backing it, yeah. yeah. Um, Tom Burrell. Yeah, I mean, just like how, you know, concussions seem like they're more prevalent now isn't necessarily true. It's because of the education that has, um, you know, happened and athletes are just they just know more and they're more aware of the signs and symptoms and they report their concussions more so i i think the cte situation is probably the same thing like was just explained uh, and i i say this on the podcast a lot that i don't ever discount that cte is a real thing can ruin someone's life um, but i always do say also that how many freaking people have played football you know, in their life. And the large majority of the people aren't these sad, terrible stories that some of these guys go through. So, you know, to say that, you know, CTE is the reason why you shouldn't play football, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, Should you not hit your head thousands of times a year? Probably not. It's probably not good for you. It's not going to help you at all. But... To not do something and to not play football, because I think there is a lot of good that comes out of the sport if played correctly and if the rules in place are called to the way sh- they should to protect the players. I, I don't see anything wrong with, with playing football. Um, so that's kind of my take on it. I, I feel like it's kind of weird that Merrill Hodge is like backing it because of his history and you know his role as an announcer and Stuff like that, but I don't know. Like, who else is going to back it? I'm going to redact myself again. It is actually Merrill Hodges' book. And then there's contributions by uh, uh, Dr. Peter Cummings, who's a board-certified forensic neuropathologist. Yeah. Sounds like we should read it and come back to this. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Um, I know Chris Nowinski was all over it, though. He was not a fan. Obviously, because it goes against everything that he stands for. <laughs> but uh, it, it, I don't know. It might, it might not. I don't know. It might not. It might not go against everything, but it, it depends on what it says. This is true. Uh, okay, week seven NFL way to play award recipient uh, Broncos linebacker Von Miller um, for his technique on his wrap up tackle of the passer. Weak. Yeah, this it was, was the weakest one yet. <laughs> I feel like this one to me was like uh, some intern, whoever's picking this, like <laughs> forgot to pick it and was like, "Okay, uh, I guess I'll just do this one since this was the last play that I just watched." Thursday night game was on NFL <laughs> Network. Uh, I'm uh, bored. I'm hungry. I just want to go home. Really don't know who to give this <laughs> to, but I'm uh, like a Von Miller fan, so I'll like, give him a shout out yeah. or something. He gently put down the quarterback. No. <laughs> yeah, it was like this was boring. Like yeah, I was bored. I mean, it's not not I guess a good tackle, but like there was no other way for him to tackle in this situation. He the quarterback was literally running away from him and he just kind of dove and tried to tackle him and knock the ball out. And I feel like Troy Vincent from NFL Operations, he sent out a couple more tweets of like some good examples of proper tackling technique and maybe it was to make up for the weak NFL way to play uh, <laughs> choice for a week seven. Um, 
But the other thing that I noticed is that I feel like in the beginning of the season they start, they were they started to kind of point out illegal hits and improper you know tackling techniques and really point this stuff out and publicize it. Um, like the much like the NHL does yeah. every single week. NHL does it with every single every every suspension, every major penalty, right. every everything. And I felt like in the beginning of the season that the NFL was kind of striving towards that level of transparency. But when I look at the stuff that they're posting, it takes a lot of time and effort to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying, saying that yeah. someone shouldn't be able to do that, but. Um, I just feel like all the point, all the PR points, if that was their goal that they were trying to hit going into the season with the helmet rule and the NFL operations, NFL way to play, I just feel like they're like missing the mark. If they're, if it's a matter of like putting the time in to like go through all the plays and do it, like then you're lazy yeah. because like there's definitely better examples of you know what's going on out there. This was just a lunging this. leap at the quarterback. That's all it was. I mean, he barely, you know, he got on. But like we the, said every week. Yeah. Von Miller is a big name in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. So like, yeah. yeah. Um, Poor. Okay. So the NFL operations uh, group met with the NCAA, and I don't know what they talked about, but an article came out um, in the – was it the New York Times? I think it was the New York Times. Yeah, because I had that guy comment saying that he doesn't listen to anything the New York Times has to say. Uh, <laughs> but they were talking about the Dartmouth football team – and how their coach really prioritizes health and safety. And one of the points that they made is that from the time that a football player at Dartmouth comes to the school, he will never tackle um, another Dartmouth player the entire it, during his entire career. And I'm just going to run off some stats um, that were, were in the article. Um, let me see. So he practices with less contact mean fewer injuries and fresher players. Never tackling teammates means more means more and more precise work uh, on tackling technique. Um, he estimates that Dartmouth has cut his missed tackles by two thirds. So not only has he decreased the amount of times that these players are hitting each other and hitting their heads, and because they're, they're using these dummies, which I'll get to, um, they're actually, you know, improving their technique probably because they can have more reps you know, more live, quote-unquote, reps on these tackling dummies. Um, then we got, and, and in 2010, the year that their coach got rid of tackling um, and during practice, and this is in both during the season and in the spring. They don't tackle at all. Um, Dartmouth had its first winning season in 13 years. And in 2015, Dartmouth was 9-1 and and won a share of the Ivy League title. And... Uh, this is a more recent quote is that their coach said, this is probably the best Dartmouth team that they've had in the last 25 years. Um, actually, this is a quote from Tim Murphy, Harvard's coach. Uh, and he said that the big green uh, is, a, is big and strong and as physical as a, a team that they'll see all season. So, you know, these guys aren't like soft because they don't beat the hell out of each other on a daily basis. And I just think it's like a cool point that, you know, sometimes by taking like a step back or kind of going the non-traditional route actually helps you out on the field. And we have a YouTube video in our post of these remote control tackling dummies that are pretty cool to watch. I've seen them a couple years ago uh, just with like some equipment reps uh, showing them off. But I don't know. It could be the way of the future, you know. I think to your point, um, I think that 
it, it actually kind of shows or emphasizes the fact that if you use the proper tackling techniques, it doesn't matter how strong the other guy is, really, right? If you're learning how to tackle the right way, you can put down somebody that's that possibly stronger, whatever the way, whatever it is. Um, and that that was going to be my question to you, Kev. Is hey, you know what? Because they're only using these these dummies that can't simulate power from you know other linemen. Because listen, there's some straight up freaks that are that are playing against these guys, right? You know, does that kind of weaken these guys' abilities? And clearly, from the stats, it it doesn't seem that way from their records and and um, winning seasons. Right, and I, I also don't like. I've never been to a Dartmouth football practice, so like I don't know if there's still contact. They're just like not wrapping guys up and bringing them to the ground. Like maybe that's their definition of tackle. I don't know. Um, but yeah, they, I don't know. Like the, the the metrics on this uh, tackling dummy, like maybe it weighs three hundred pounds. I don't know. Yeah. Like, or maybe they have different weighted ones for linemen and stuff like that. But yeah. just something innovative out there that's kind of cool. I think if they bring it down to the, if you could bring it f- down to the high school level, that would be a great thing because the other key that you mentioned was limiting the amount of hits. You know what I mean? Right. It, it's that micro trauma, the repeated hits that these kids take. And a lot of times it's just from practice, you know? Linemen in, in uh, all of these, they take the most amount of hits uh, just from repeated uh, practices and drills. So I think you bring up some good points with that too. Yeah, and unfortunately the limiting factor with all this stuff is money. Yeah. Like not but, most yeah. high schools aren't going to have yeah, the budget yeah. to Youth you know, high school, yeah. buy yeah. even one remote control absolutely. tackling dummy. And yeah, the whole point of it is really to like you're increasing your reps by decreasing contact with your players. Like you can tackle the dummy all freaking day and not really hurt anyone. Sure. So that's why, you know, you get more reps prop- practicing the proper technique. Um, so it definitely would be beneficial. We just got to figure out a way of like it's a manual one. Same. Maybe without a motor, you just, it's got wheels. You just push it or something. <laughs> well, it's the, and that's just the kind of sad part is it's the same thing we've talked about with equipment, right? And yeah. helmets and all these, all, like the new advancements in helmets that they've done. Like, High schools can't. Yeah, you can't. You can't afford that. The stuff. thing that I noticed that was interesting. I don't know if we brought up on the podcast just with the helmet thing that reminded me is that Vices was the top at the I think going into this season, and it's actually now number two. Shut has a new helmet that I think has, you know how the Rydell um, Speed Flex has that little like push button on like, the front, mm-hmm. like on the crowd in the helmet, yeah, kind yeah. of hexagonal looking. Yeah. yeah, on the front. So this shut helmet has like that same type of technology. Slits, though they're kind of like more rectangle. Yeah, but it goes all the way over the top of yeah. the helmet, and that, that helmet actually has surpassed the helmet Perform- ratings, better. the performance of the vices. I, I'm not sure by how much, huh. but it's the shut helmet, and now uh, vice is actually number two. What's the thing? Well, I mean, is the shut helmet still super expensive? I mean, that vices helmet was like what fifteen hundred bucks or something ridiculous. Yeah. So I'm sure the shut one is still some, sure, yeah, somewhat cost-inhibitive yeah. in, in, to high school programs right. to bring in one at a time, let alone 50. I feel like anything with these with these technology, you know, these advances in technology, initially they're so yeah. expensive because Eventually of all the become, research and yeah. 
prototypes and everything and testing that went into them. But over time, yeah. you know, they become more and more affordable when they become outdated and there's other better <laughs> things that are more and more expensive. <laughs> Good point. So, uh, all right, we'll finish with um, just a reminder for you guys to keep a lookout for uh, Zach Miller's Player Tribune documentary, which comes out on November 14th. I know I'll be looking out for that. Um, it's kind of all about his comeback story, um, if you want to mention it. Uh, it's all about his uh, comeback story from his ACL injury, almost losing his leg. Uh, he's been fighting to come back to something. I don't know if it's going to be the NFL or just a, 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 I don't know, a valuable life with being grateful that he still has his leg. Um, yeah. But either way, it's kind of cool to see his comeback, and he's really been very active on social media, like posting every day on kind of like what he's doing day in and day out to get himself um, back to maybe an NFL field. Josh, you have something to uh, add before we stop? Yeah, the last thing we can talk about is uh, the Maryland head coach. So um, I guess we talked about it briefly at the beginning of the year. They had the Maryland player passed away during yeah. uh, kind of summer summer practice. Um, they placed – uh, the head coach on a leave of absence or administrative leave or whatever you call it. Uh, they did a whole, I don't know, investigation, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Uh, hired an interim head coach. So it finally came out, say Wednesday, yesterday, that they were reinstating him yep. as the head coach. Um, and it be it was met with a lot of uh, backlash, I guess. And then they today it came out that they fired him. Yeah. So he was he was stayed on for a day. They had no choice after the protests, and I totally agreed that that yeah. they should have fired him. I mean, you we we don't know. I mean, uh, Dan Patrick spent like a good thirty to forty five minutes on this today, um, on his show. Um, the only thing that I could think of, um, which is what makes every decision about all of this stuff, is money. So before. This guy, DJ Durkin, was the head coach. Um, their head coach was Randy Etzel from UConn. Yeah, former UConn guy. And they fired him. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, and it's, they're still paying him. Well, yeah, no, they are. So that's that's it's the biggest the biggest problem with these college coaches. They get paid so much money, and their buyouts are so ridiculous. Yeah. But when they don't win, there's so much pressure to have a winning football program. Um, and like with a school like Maryland, who is paying the the majority of the football coaches' salaries? The, the donors. The donors. Mm -hmm. So when they have a guy who's fired and they're paying him, and now they have another guy who royally effed up and they kind of need to fire, they're going to have to pay him because they're still going to need to pay his buyout regardless of whatever reason they fired him for. So now they're going to be paying two head coaches and then they're going to need to hire a coach. So they're going to be playing three head coaches at the same time. And who do you think is the, probably the one that's making the biggest factor in determining whether this guy stays or goes? The donors who are paying him, uh, the board of regents, and the they're like. The, all right, we'll pay any the, amount the, of money. The, the, Just the don't keep clubs. this guy in here. <laughs> well, well, no, that they, it, it, it's the opposite. They're they're saying, well, we're paying this other guy. If we fire him, we're going to have to pay him, and then we're going to have to hire a new guy. Oh, so you're if saying that the, an, the donors were saying to keep him. Yes. Yeah, because that was yes. – the Board of Regents was the ones that pushed yeah, exactly. to keep him in, in, in the first place. And they, were making, they yeah. were making Wallace Lowe, who was the president of the, school, of the university, re, quote-unquote retire at the end of, of – of, in June or whatever it was. So, I, I mean, you don't know. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's the only thing I could think of. And their – I mean, their budget – strapped as it is like yeah. as a, they're not in good shape from a money standpoint 
um, to begin with. So um, I don't want, then you're going to, so you're going to fire him and then you're going to hire some no name coach and pay him rock bottom. No, you're going to want to, you had this big, huge scandal. You're going to have to hire someone with, with a name and yeah. pay him. So now, now the donors are, I mean, all these, all these people with, I just want to make it sound bad with them. All these people that have a lot of money. I mean, they have money for a reason. They're good with it. And yeah. they, so now you're, you're you're asking them to be paying basically three times as much as they think they should be for one guy. Um, I I would assume that that's the main reason why they pushed to reinstate him. Um, but well, you've also got players who just don't agree with it and walked out. That you know was what I mean? yeah, that's that was the, the biggest problem. You've you've lost half of your 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 athletes right there. You know how how do you have a coach that uh, how how do you have a coach coach a team that has no one, ha no one in, yeah. believing in him. Yeah, I don't know if they thought they they would be able to just get through the year and then craziness push them out after the season or have it go away quiet. I haven't been paying attention. How's Maryland doing? Retire. They're five and three. They're okay. They, they've 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 beat a couple teams. They beat they beat Rutgers. Everyone beats Rutgers. <laughs> they beat Texas the first game of the year. They've they've had some wins. I mean, they're one game away from being bowl eligible. So, um, they're it's not it's not it's not like they're zero and eight. No. without this guy, they're and they need decent. him to come back. Yeah. All right, Was, you have something to add? Last thing I had to add was uh, American College of uh, – or American Academy of Pediatrics recently just uh, stated that uh, the best things that high schools can do is have an ATC, athletic trainers. Go athletic trainers. I think it's what we need to, to have to ensure the safety of our, of our athletes and starting from the high school level up. So uh, way to go, AAP, for making that recommendation. Yeah, and I think that the athletic trainer's new kind of like tagline is at risk because it's AT, at risk. Um, <laughs> and it's very true. Like, to me, it blows my freaking mind to have like little kids running around a field hitting each other and you have no one other Nothing. than parents who have no clue what they're doing medically um, out there in case of emergency. Yep, back to money again, yep, Josh. Yeah, 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 exactly. A lot of like the, these youth programs, I mean, what are the coaches getting paid? Yeah. yeah, nothing. They're, 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 they're volunteers. They're, they're volunteers. Yeah. So, like the program, most of these programs probably have barely enough money for the equipment and but refs. Then and it kind of goes back to Chris Nowinski's argument, like, well, then should you really be playing football when you're that young? You know, like if you play flag football, the risk is significantly less of a, a severe yeah. injury where you would want to have an athletic trainer on yeah. the field. But you should have an athletic sure. trainer or flag football. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but I'm just saying, like, if we're talking about money here, yeah, you know, like. What's you know, you sign your kid up to play football. You pay, I'm sure, some sort of fee. Yeah, build yeah. it in. How much would you add, you know, to that? Exactly. To just have a per diem to at least show up to the games. Um, all right, we'll uh, we'll end it there, and we'll be back for week week nine.